The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, the weakest link. Oh, come on, you've all heard that phrase a hundred times. Well, let me tell you how it applies. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. We know that to be true. In our integrated global economy, this means, get ready for it, supplier risk is your company's risk. I know, maybe a big statement for you to swallow, but very important. Let's talk about it. Multi-location sourcing, yes. Ever-changing dynamic regulations, yes. And a dynamic business environment, we know that's true. Put organizations like yours at constant risk from multiple points of potential failures. Failure is the word you don't want to have to deal with, but let's see what we can do to prevent it. Protecting your business requires fundamental changes in how you anticipate and mitigate supplier risks. Two very important points to that equation. Anticipating, maybe even expecting, knowing what to do. Mitigating, well, maybe they're going to happen, but you can minimize the damage. Guess what? Bad news, billions of dollars may be at stake. Good news, you may be doing billions of dollars in business that you don't want to put at stake here. So let's look at the opportunities here. Can the alignment of predictive intelligence and network-based insights and something we call sub-tier visibility give you a comprehensive supply chain view that will enable you to take proactive risk avoidance measures? Big ideas, lots of information we want to share with you. We've got a panel of two experts today. They're so smart, we only needed two to get these points across. Let me introduce our first person. He is a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He's Andrew Lee. If you want to look him up, his last name is spelled L-E-A. He's a marketing director in Dunn and Bradstreet's channel enablement team. And Andrew has sent me a wonderful quote from Marshall McLuhan. Before I read the quote, if you're scratching your head, who is Marshall McLuhan? Well, M-C-L-U-H-A-N. He's the one who coined the expressions, the medium is the message and global village. I know it's been used, they've been used thousands of times since then. He's a Canadian philosopher of communication theory and what's called a public intellectual. I'll stop right there. Google him if you want to know more. Here's the quote. We shape our tools and and thereafter, our tools shape us. Brilliant quote. Andrew Lee at DNB, welcome. How are you today, Andrew? I'm fine, Bonnie. Thank you so much for that nice Del- introduction. Delighted to have you talk to me. Are you a big fan of McLuhan's? Uh, did this just happen to come around on the Rolodex of quotes you wanted to talk about on the radio? And, and how does it relate to our topic? Supplier risk is your risk. Big topic, Andrew. Go ahead. 
Well, yes, I am a big fan of McLuhan, and not just because he had a cameo appearance in Annie Hall. Um, he wrote a book called Understanding Media, among others, that he wrote, which describes the way that technology, in the broadest sense, changes the world that we experience. So in that quote, he's talking about how the tools that we create have an effect back on us that's usually not anticipated. Um, whether we're talking about, you know, a teletype machine or a, a cell phone or an app like Twitter or the technology to reveal supply chain risks. We start out thinking that the tool is just going to deliver a certain set of results, but it does more than that. It also changes the way we experience our work or our daily lives. And in a business sense, it changes the expectations. So, for example, in the case of supply chain risk, once that risk is knowable, then it becomes the responsibility, you could even say the fiduciary responsibility, of managers to take all steps possible to know about and mitigate those risks. So every tool is three-dimensional in that way. Very interesting. Um, would, would we could we uh, add to this, Andrew? For every action, there's a react, an equal and opposite reaction. Can we we add? I think that's an Einsteinian comment. <laughs> uh, would you would you agree with that? Um, well, it, that that's actually classic physics you're talking about, and, and mm-hmm. it's Newtonian. I think McLuhan would Newtonian. say that the reaction can also can sometimes be far greater than the action. For example, uh, take. The Internet, initially it was seen as um, a way of sharing information, but it's turned out to change everything about daily life, as well as, of course, commerce. So uh, for every action, there's a possibly huge reaction. Maybe that's a rewriting of Newton for you. I like that. Newton, shame on me. You know, everything that seems to be very interesting and brilliant seems to be attributed to either Einstein or George Carlin today. But I I digress. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to meet you, and thanks for bringing your sense of humor. Very serious topic, though, and I know you have a lot to say. Let me bring on your co-panelist. He's been on with us before on Game Changers Radio. He's Kirtan Rye, and if you want to look him up, his last name is spelled R-A-I, and his first name is K-E-E-R-T-A-N. And Kirtan Rye has sent me a quote from Gary Kahn, or Cohen perhaps, of Goldman Sachs, uh, who started out in the steel industry, working for U.S. Steel, and then moved over as an options dealer to the New York Mercantile Exchange, and Goldman Sachs recruited him in 1990. He's a very controversial figure, this Gary Cohn, and apparently he's intimidating, and he puts his feet on traders' desks, (laughs) puts his leg close to their face, and asks them, how are the markets doing? Some people say that's his strength as a leader. Other people say, damn, what can I tell you? But here's the quote anyway, whether you know Gary or not. If you don't invest in risk management, it doesn't matter what business you're in. It's a risky business. Great quote. Kirtan Rye, welcome back. How have you been? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. And I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Happy to be a part of the business innovation with Game Changers, so for the second time this year. 
Yes, the second time this year. You were so good the first time we had to get you back. And a shout-out to Jeannie Trin, who sponsors this series. Kirtan, I have to ask you, you're in Bangalore. Just uh, quickly tell us how late are you staying up to join us? What time is it there? Well, it's 9.39 p.m. to be precise. That's about 12 and a half hours from where you are, uh, Bonnie, if I'm not mistaken. should be about 9 9.10 a.m. Uh, no, it, it's actually it's actually 12 o'clock in the afternoon here. So we are, let's see, I don't know if you're ahead of us. We're, we're a nine-hour difference or we're a three-hour difference, depending on how you look at it. I think you're, you're probably nine hours ahead of us here, you think? Nine and a half hours, yes. Yes. There you go. There you go. Well, Kirtan, it's lovely to have you back. Talk to me. Uh, how did you come to pick a quote from the very interesting personality of Gary? Do you call it Khan or Cohen? How do you pronounce it? I call I uh, I probably pronounce it Gary Cohen, but I might be wrong. But uh, what I was uh, when I was in in my previous role uh, in my previous life in a different role, I was in the financial services industry and. Uh, and I have survived the 2008 market, the Black Septembers and uh, whatever you name it. So, and these were the quotes that were back then most relevant. I don't know if this quote was there, but everything was related to back then called about risk management in the financial services markets per se. But nevertheless, the importance of risk management shot up so exponentially at back then that everybody was talking about it then. And then uh, it obviously percolated to other industries. So uh, that's how when I started to research about this topic a couple of days back, the first thing to look for was quotes from the financial services industry because they are the ones who are the most prominent in the risk management industry and probably they uh, dole out a good number of quotes in that area as well. And uh, I truly believe in what Gary Cohn said because uh, what he said does not just apply to the financial services industry in, uh, in general in particular, but also... Uh, all industries, any business for that matter, every business, every person should have a risk mitigation strategy. Otherwise, no matter what you do, you're in a risky business. Very well put. I love the quote. Uh, Kirtan, question for you. Do you think, and I'll ask Andrew the same question, and we'll save a lot of your answers, obviously, for the roundtable after the break. But the question is, do you think that companies understand the depth, the breadth, the width, if you will, of supplier risk, risk to their companies, their reputation, the health of theirs, and the flow of their supply chain? Is this news to anyone? Is this, has anybody been hiding under a rock? Oh, my suppliers are great. Yeah, they've been friends of ours for years. Yeah, we've been doing this for years. Everything's fine. Do you think anybody is, is hiding behind the, yes, it's okay, we don't have to pay attention? Kirtan, what do you observe? Uh, no, the general perception is, of course, risk management is important. Most of the firms that you would talk to would say that risk management is, supplier risk management is important because uh, theoretically, yes, it is pretty important. But on the ground, reality is something altogether different because uh, the intentions might be quite different from the reality because uh, there are a lot of challenges in companies uh, trying to achieve that full-blown supplier risk visibility within their supply chain. And some of the factors we will cover it in a later uh, in, in a later time in this uh, segment. But this could include inability to uh, aggregate all of that data within their enterprise or their inability to find the right information. And in many times, uh, what they are looking for at supplier risk might be completely different from the ground realities that of uh, the risk that is actually posing a threat to their supply chain. So there's a huge gap between the perception as well as the reality. So, uh, well, yes, answer to your question, first part of your question is yes, companies understand what supplier risk is, but if they are uh, 
in an advanced stage of mitigating that? No, they are still in the early stages, at least most of the companies, and in many industries, it's still an evolving function or a discipline. So a lot to go from here on, and uh, we see that there are a lot of drivers in this space as well, both from a regulatory and compliance point of view, as well as from uh, from a, just a business continuity point of view. So uh, there's pressure from multiple directions, so this is only going to increase in the days to come uh, in the ways that companies invest in this solution. But at this point, it's just an evolving, uh, evolving discipline, I would say, in many forms, uh, barring a few. Thank you very much, Kirtan. Andrew Lee, I want to circle back to you for a second here. Uh, we're talking about proactive, talking about anticipating, and in my opening, Andrew, I talked about mitigating supplier risks. I haven't yet used or heard either you or Kirtan Rai use the word avoiding, eliminating, deleting, not having to deal with. Is that on the future uh, landscape on the horizon, Andrew, if companies are really smart? Just so our listeners get an idea right at the start, are we only going to be talking about mitigating, meaning lessening the impact of, or are we going to talk about how to just not have them happen at all? Andrew, just a quick overview. Well, you know, um, that's, a, that's a tempting idea to think that risk is something that can be eliminated. But uh, as Kirtan knows from his financial services background, which is also where I, I came from um, a while back, risk is, is, is always a possibility. Uh, it's not something that can be ever fully eliminated. Uh, there is no enterprise that cannot fail or be at risk. Um, and that means there's no supply chain that will not have the potential to cause problems due to, due to failure to deliver or fulfill uh, the needs of the, of the customer. So, no, we, never gonna, we will never get rid of it, but that's okay because what we can do is grow our awareness of it. And with the awareness comes the ability to uh, develop Plan B's, mitigation plans, um, and to address the risks before they impact the, uh, the company. Thank you very much. Just wanted to get that cleared up. Guess what, Andrew? Now that I have you, I have a very important question to ask you. Okay. I hope you're prepared to answer. What's in your cup today? Where are you calling from? What time of day is it? We know Kirtan is, is edging toward late night. Where are you right now, Andrew? What are you well, drinking? What's Kirtan in your cup? Sort of in different places, geophysically speaking. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, so it's a nice, bright, sunny morning here. It's about 9.15 a.m., and uh, that means Kirtan and I are, are uh, many, many hours separated. And what are you drinking or what are you planning to drink after the show? In other words, we're up to the segment, Andrew Lee, called What's in Your Cup Today, Andrew? I didn't know I sounded like I was drinking, but uh, <laughs> oh, I've never had anybody say that before. <laughs> we want to know a little bit about you. I know you smile a lot. I know you're very smart. Well, what do you like to drink? I'm going to take a wild guess and say I'm drinking the same stuff that Kirtan is drinking, otherwise known as tea. We'll see if I'm right about that. Uh, well, tell me what kind of this. Just not tea, Andrew. There are flavors and shades and, and warm and cold and tall and short and, and, and herbal and, and caffeinated. And there's black and there's oolong and there's rooibos. Come on. Let's have a little bit of more personality okay, well, bed, Andrew. You know, if, you're, if you really want to know, um, I do. the question that you've asked is more interesting than, than the answer, I'm afraid. It's just English black tea, but, but since you are curious, I can tell, it's a brand called PG Tips, which is extremely 
uh, popular in Britain, and I discovered it while visiting there once, and now I'm a fan. So that's what I've got. And if you go to, uh, if you Google it, PG Tips Pyramid Black, PG <laughs> Tips, all kinds of, you can get a 40-count tea bags for a big deal, $3.99. Tea bags, loose tea, and decaf tea at the English teastore.com slash P-G-T-I-P-S. You can buy them loose at Amazon. And uh, let's see, discover more about tea and PG tips. The first UK brand to be fully Rainforest Alliance certified. Did you know that, Andrew? I don't think I knew that. No, that's very interesting. And it's also in a famous pyramid-shaped tea bag. Very interesting. Well, thank you for the the tip there. We appreciate it. Okay. And, uh, yes, and there are implications that you should drink it to be tipsy, but I don't think that's the point. (laughs) Kirtan Rye. Kirtan, what are you drinking to stay awake while we're on the air here late at night for you? Talk to me. Bonnie, this comes to the, yeah, we are now at the most interesting segment uh, of uh, the most interesting piece of the segment. But I'm sorry to disappoint, Andrew. I'm not drinking tea, although India is a very popular tea destination. But uh, uh-huh. it's 9.30 uh-huh. p.m. here. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, and I'm past my time for coffee or tea. But uh, as you would know, a little trivia about where I am from. This is Bangalore. So uh, an appropriate time for this time of the day, after working long hours, would be a good draft beer from the pub next door. Because... Uh, Bangalore, apart from being called the Silicon Valley of the East, is also the pub capital of uh, the country. So you have all kinds of pubs and you have all kinds of uh, grub places that you could uh, hop in after a long day's work. And uh, on days like this, right, so chances are that you'll find me in one of those places listening to some good old uh, rock music and chugging some beer. So that's probably where I'm headed out to after this, even though it's, it's going to be 10.30 p.m. once I head out. So, according to you, Bangalore is the pub capital of India. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so Britishers had their uh, influence on this town, and this place was dotted with uh, dozens and dozens of pubs in one time uh, eight, uh, during the 80s and the 90s. But uh, what's happening right now is the pubs have been slowly making way for what you know as micro breweries. So, they make their own brew and things like that. So, uh, I'm a big fan of those as well. And, uh, and and you should really come over and try some of these some of these uh, beverages, some of these brews here. Very interesting. So the latest one that I had here was, uh, if I remember the name correctly, it's called Basmati Blonde. So uh, name sounds extremely weird, but it's uh, it's a blend of Indian rice, which is flavorful and gives it an aroma, uh, blended with the German Pilsner, which gives it a gives it a very uh, malty texture. So a very interesting kind of brews and very different names and each beer has its own history and its craftsmanship and so a little bit of uh, uh, culture revolution in the beer industry going on here in Bangalore. So, uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Andrew, you're a little bit surprised. I think you're actually in shock that he's not I am. Tea. I just realized that um, as, a, as a partner of SAP and representing Dun & Bradstreet, I really think I need to visit Kierden. I think you do. I think now he's got he some important information about where he lives. <laughs> there you go. See, we make good friendships way, here. Uh, Andrew, on, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And Andrew likes his tea. Maybe we have the best brews here as well. So we have uh, Darjeeling tea and Assam tea and, and the like. So you could pick up your best brews from uh, Bangalore as well. 
Perfect. And I know I'll have a friend there in you to be my tour guide. So I think we should plan on it. So thank you, Bonnie, for bringing it to the fore. My pleasure. We have to thank uh, Jeannie as well. Listen, you guys, I'm going to give you a break so you can each sip on whatever you've got in front of you because we have a lot of work ahead of us. Our audience around the world is eager to hear your input, your expertise for this topic. Supplier risk is your risk at any company, no matter what you do. Are you prepared after hearing the words of wisdom from Andrew Lee at Dun & Bradstreet and Kirtan Rye at SAP? You will be more prepared. You might be able to be more proactive. You might have insights and you might be able to do a much better job at mitigating the results of supplier risk if and when it happens. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. As you already guessed, you're listening to Business Innovation with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP and Ariba. We'll be right back after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with their customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources, and they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO now let's get back to business innovation with Game Changers here we are. We're back and ready to dive in in earnest into our roundtable discussion. My honored guests today are Andrew Lee, LEA, Man- Marketing Director in Dun & Bradstreet's Channel Enablement Team. And we also are speaking with Kirtan Rye, a Solutions Marketing Director in the Business Networks Group line of business. That's a long title at SAP. Kirtan is a returning guest and Andrew is new. We're already very comfy and cozy here. We have a lot of information to share with you. I'm looking at Andrew's notes the discussion points he sent me before the show. And I'm just going to cover a little bit of what I used in the opening and then tell you why it's important. Andrew says, the enterprise need for supply chain risk awareness is because, and we've already established, you've got multiple points of potential failure. You've got multi-location sourcing, which is coming into increasing adoption. The regulatory landscape, it's changing, ever-changing, always changing, dynamically changing. That's no news to any of you. Dynamic business environment, okay, but why does it matter? Let me read a couple notes here. Andrew says, interruptions in the global supply chain can hurt your company's financial 
performance, damage your strategic partnerships, cause negative brand perception. And you all know we're living in the social world today and brand perception is out there. People are screaming it on social media at the top of their little e-lungs and it can result in financial risk, reputational risk, operational risk, a lot to consider. Andrew, why don't you unravel this for us? Let's talk. Sure. Um, Well, okay, so we've got two big issues here. One is how do you discover and become aware of risk? And the other is understanding how one kind of risk can lead into other kinds of risk. So you've talked about supply chain risk being correlated with other things. So, for example, Bonnie, consider this. Let's imagine you're a supply chain manager, and one of your suppliers is misbehaving. They're a little late in their deliveries. Um, They're trying to uh, increase their prices a little bit, and they're getting on your bad side. Well, if it were just a matter of supply chain management, you might say, let's replace the supplier. Let's find somebody new. But you would also want to know, since you would be, I'm sure, a really intelligent supply chain manager, is this supplier also an important customer of ours? Is this supplier related to an important source of uh, capital finance for us? Is this supplier someone that we have a partnership on the marketing or product side with? (laughs) So the point is that companies have all kinds of relationships with various entities, and they need to know when those entities are related even though they may be operating under different names, different locations, different contact names. So it's very important to connect the dots to understand what may at first appear to be a supply chain risk is also correlated with other business domains and critical success factors for the company. Andrew, whose job is it to be aware of all this? Is there a risk manager who sits in the C-suite or is just right outside the C-suite saying, oops, the marketing C-suite person has these concerns and the IT C-suite person has these concerns and the everybody else in the C-suite has these concerns. Now I'm going to go do my diligence and see if I can figure out what's going on with our suppliers. Is there one person or one office that is in charge of or should there? there be one central focal hub in an enterprise, and you can also talk just briefly, I want to get Kirtan in on this in a second, uh, is this, does, are we talking about every size company, every size footprint, every industry, or just certain ones? Andrew, just a little bit on my questions, please. Well, let me focus on the first question you posed. Whose job okay. is this? Yes. And that's a really, really good question because that's a big problem for companies, identifying this set of responsibilities and providing the information that that office, whatever its title, would need to fulfill those responsibilities. So sometimes it's the chief data officer. Sometimes it's the mm-hmm. chief technology officer. Um, sometimes it's the, in a banking world, it might be the chief risk and compliance officer. But one of the challenges businesses are facing now is understanding the need to, un- to understand their relationships across business domains, that the silos of supply and finance and marketing and sales, that those cannot be silos anymore. And that's why supply chain management has to be integrated with other kinds of 
relationship awareness. Thank you. Kirtan Raya, we have a lot we're discussing. I'd love to get your POV on what Andrew has shared with us. Talk to me. Yes, Bonnie. So, uh, in fact, when you said when you started uh, this segment, when you said about the need for spend visibility, mm-hmm. I was quickly reminded of uh, an example or an analogy that was once again came in from the financial risk management side. So, uh, but this was in a slightly different context when I was a student back then, and here was a professor of risk management who came to us and uh, asked us a question, very simple question, and uh, answered for you to ponder upon as well. Why mm-hmm. do cars come with brakes? So that was the question, as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So the obvious thing to cross our mind was, uh, well, cars have brakes because they could slow down, right? Slow down or stop, yes. That was one way of looking at it. But the risk management uh, way of looking at it was cars have brakes so we can drive faster. So imagine you have a fastest car in the world that, say, accelerates from uh, from 0 to 100 uh, kilometers or 0 to 60 miles an hour in under 5 seconds but does not have brakes. Uh, I doubt you would drive that car, right, at, at even more than 5 miles an hour. So because it's plain and simple risky or, uh, or perhaps even suicidal. So how fast you drive your car is, amongst other things, also a function of how good your brakes are. So today, the need for supply risk management, our supply risk management play the part of those brakes because at one hand, you have organizations that are expanding exponentially, tapping into global opportunities. But at the other hand, you need supply risk management to ensure that the car or the organization doesn't drive off the cliff. Because today... If you look at it, if, if you look at an automobile company or any any successful company today that's uh, headquartered probably headquartered in one region, might be headquartered in U.S. Uh, case of an automobile company, would be sourcing parts from us uh, from say China, or it might go, uh, get in uh, materials from Africa, or ancillary equipments from India, or design expertise from Europe. So these are all multiple points of uh, multiple uh, suppliers that are forming an ecosystem for this organization. And at the same time, these suppliers are also acting as multiple points of failure. So, which is why the need for enterprises to gain that kind of visibility on the risks across the supply chain. And, and this is not just theoretically, uh, this is not just theoretical uh, knowledge, because time and again we've seen, and every now and then we've seen examples or witnessed some grim reminders of how poor supplier risk management uh, continues to haunt even some of the largest brands in the world. And today, that is the context of supplier risk management in an organization. Fascinating. I love that. I'm tweeting that. Why do cars have brakes to drive faster and not go off the cliff? I hope <laughs> I captured that right. Andrew Lee, you must have something to say about this. I, I don't know if you uh, thought Kirtan was going to bring up such an interesting analogy, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a brilliant analogy, and I think it, it really fits beautifully into the challenges that large businesses especially are facing, that they they can't achieve the acceleration of growth that they need if they don't have the risk awareness and risk mitigation strategies in place. Um, Because growing means expanding relationships with business entities. It means adding relationships with business entities. Those entities need to be properly vetted. They need to be properly onboarded. They need to be properly monitored in order to be, uh, shall we say, safe, in order not to introduce unexpected uh, risk into the business. So I think Kirtan's uh, metaphor is is perfect. Thank you. For supply chain management, Mm -hmm. um, one one of the... Benefits of the the 
great tool set that SAP provides is it allows companies to add new suppliers, to monitor suppliers, to stay aware of those suppliers. And that's kind of like putting really good brakes on a really fast car. Thank you very much, Andrew. And I want to move over to some talking points from Kirtan Rye. Uh, interesting here, something very provocative, Kirtan, in your notes. I'd like to get this out of the way before we go a little bit deeper into our topic. You say the gap between the things that organizations perceive as risk and the factors that actually pose real threat is huge. And you talk about risks that are the blind spots in an organization's supply chain that can have devastating impact. Now, we haven't used the word devastating. We haven't talked about real versus perceived risks. We haven't talked about potential blind spots. So my question, Kirtan, is would you like to just get that out on the table before we move into another part of our conversation? Is everything we've talked about, financial, regulatory, geopolitical, environmental, sustainability, reputation, and brand, are these the blind spots? Or as I asked earlier in the show, are companies really aware of these and vigilant about checking these, and so they are not, and get back to your car analogy, so they're not blind spots on the driver's side. What do you see? Yeah, so uh, there are two aspects to this, Bonnie. So one uh, one part is companies actually being cognizant of risks in the supply chain, and the second aspect is going about uh, mitigating them or avoiding them or anticipating them. So, uh, and, and the the gap between perception and reality actually comes in the second part, where companies are actually aware that there are some things that might be addressed, some things could go wrong, but they don't know where exactly to start, or they have some preconceived notions uh, in addressing supplier risk. So, again, uh, coming, I, mean, I, I like to explain things by ways of example, and uh, I really like this book, which I'm pretty sure which is a bestseller and most of you have read it. It's called Freakonomics. Freakonomics, uh, the debut mm-hmm. book, uh, launched by Stephen Lovett and uh, Stephen Dubner. So this was a bestseller book and highlighted some of the some of some very good examples of how uh, numbers can really solve the perception versus reality gap. So in one of the chapters, the authors ask a question uh, to to parents, uh, which goes on to say that as a parent, which one of your neighbors' homes would you feel safer to send your children over to play? The options being A one that holds a licensed gun, or B, one that has a swimming pool in the backyard. So at the outset, swimming pools seem like the obvious choice because they are safer than guns. And, and that, that, that's the twist in the tale because according to their data, swimming pools can claim a far higher number of children's lives than guns do. So that's the difference between perception and reality that we are talking about. And in business commerce too, it's no exception because uh, companies today are really looking at ways to increase their bottom line and the chief procurement officers, it's always looking at ways to improve their savings. But the decision part to get to that point often relies on uh, perceptions and intuitions. Many organizations uh, traditionally rely on uh, internal-based supplier metrics or user feedback or uh, simply good old uh, relationships. Without the numbers or without the analytics, without external information backing that uh, supplier information, uh, businesses are really operating in a world of blind spots and they are exposing mm-hmm. themselves to a multitude of untoward incidents and which could be in the form of operational risk, brand risk, financial risk. And all of these collectively can include, uh, can impact in multiple ways. Uh, it could be your brand reputation. It could impact your bottom line numbers. It could even cause uh, bankruptcy to your organization, shutting down. It could cause litigations. 
And uh, all of these, and almost all of these, could be avoided in the first place had there had been a more rational and a number-based approach into mm-hmm. spend analytics in the first place. So that's the per gap between... The, so companies today are operating in a huge gap of perception versus reality in managing supplier risk, and that's the gap that numbers stands to address. Thank you, Kirtan. I want to give a reference point here. I believe you mentioned Freakonomics a minute ago. Was that what I heard you say? Yes. Okay, yes. I looked yes. it up. I, I know other people have mentioned it on Game Changers Radio. Those of you in the audience saying, what did he say? It's Freak, F-R-E-A-K-O-Nomics. It is a book subtitled, A Rogue Economist Explores the Hidden Side of Everything. It's the debut nonfiction book by University of Chicago economist Stephen Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T, and New York Times journalist Stephen J. Dubner, D-U-B-N-E-R. And it actually is 10 years old. It was published in April 2005 by William Morrow is described as melding pop culture with economics by 2009, four years after publication. The book had sold over 4 million copies worldwide. So if you're looking for it, it's Freak, F-R-E-A-K-O-Nomics. I'm going to put that into a tweet here. Uh, Andrew, love to have you comment on this. Have you Are you a follower of or have you read Freakonomics, Andrew Oh, Lee? yeah, I recommend it highly. It's really fun and instructive. And any comment on the blind spots, on searching out those blind spots? Absolutely. I think Kirtan's focused on something really important, and that is the need to understand what's going on beyond the four walls of the company. And what that really means is coping with the massive influx of data that is now impinging on every company and the rapidity of change in just the basic facts about the various companies that we have relationships with. Um, For example, a company changes control every 15 minutes. A company name change is registered every minute. A company enters bankruptcy every five minutes. Uh, 90% of the world's data was created in the last year and a half. So what this really means is that companies have a data challenge. They need, and Kirtan referenced this, he mentioned the need for external information. External means outside the four walls. There's a need to cope with the massive influx of data to manage that and to be able to extract the important truths that give you the risk awareness that you need. So actually, uh, you could think of this as, let's go back to that great car analogy that Kirtan brought up. Mm-hmm. You've got a, you have this fabulous machine, the car, but it needs fuel. It can't run on its own energy. It needs something coming in from the outside to make it work. And risk risk supply management is the same. It needs to be fueled by the data that provides awareness of what's going on out there in the world. Thank you, Andrew. I want to talk about, I'm going to flip back here to some notes from Andrew Lee. All good stuff both of you sent me. Thank you so much for your pre-work on the, the topic today. Risk visibility starts with identity resolution. Very interesting. And Andrew Lee poses the question, do you, does your company have a complete view of your suppliers? I'm going to rattle off just a couple of points here and then ask Andrew to expand. He talks about how many discrete vendors are you really working with? What's the real number? And he talks about, do you know the corporate family tree structure of each of these 
vendors. Does the vendor pose any risk to your supply chain through their other relationships? They have a supply chain. They have financial relationships. They have customers. Uh Uh-huh. Think about how that family tree is growing, growing, growing. What about their financial stability? Can they make their own financial commitments? What about legal? Is a partner or a supply chain company, a vendor, facing any major litigation or prosecution at any level, local, national, regional, and labor practices? You certainly don't want your name linked with guilt by association in the news. Is any vendor you're working with running a sweatshop, child labor? You know, this hits the front pages. We've seen so many famous people's names associated with these embarrassments. And in in my world, it's called a shanda. It's a shame that anybody would do this. Andrew Lee, please <laughs> talk to me. I think I got you on that one. Andrew, yeah. talk to me. I, I knew I would. Now we understand each other better. Uh, yes, talk to do. me, Andrew. Which of these is really, are these all equally important in this identity resolution? This is a lot of work, Andrew. Is this, you hire an investigator, you hire a PI, a private eye, to take a well, look that's at that's a great every... question. How do you manage the, the challenge? Yeah, it's huge. So the challenge is understanding with, who, with whom are you doing business? Exactly. And how are those entities related to each other? So let's say you've got suppliers A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it may, you may think of them as separate entities. They have different names. They have different locations. They have different uh, billing systems. But if you could, you would want to know that those, if those are all related to each other, you would want to know that. First of all, you would want to know that you're spending money with one company instead of nine and that you're a big customer of that one company instead of a small customer of nine suppliers. But more importantly, you would want to know the financial health, uh, the regulatory state, the legal status of of those entities, and especially if they're all connected, who's the real owner? What is the entity that is the dominant owner of all of those And what kind of shape is that in? And what other relationships do you have with that? So you need to know that. How do you find that out? Well, one way is you could hire a private private investigator. Mm -hmm. You could hire a room full of people to do research for you, make the phone calls, um, hit the streets, go verify business addresses, uh, check the legal records, um, follow the payment history of these various companies, you could have an entire building full of people doing that, or mm-hmm. you could go to a, a third-party source of that kind of business intelligence, and there are various vendors that provide this, <laughs> and mm-hmm. let, let bring them into your supply chain awareness infrastructure so that the, again, getting back to that data, so that the voluminous data that needs to be managed and aggregated let the experts do that for you. And those experts are out there. Expert Interesting. companies. Extra companies and expert tools as well. Kirtan Rye, talk to us. Thoughts on all of these different challenges to what Andrew Lee at DNB calls the identity resolution of your suppliers, the people who are the vendors in your supply chain. What are your thoughts, Kirtan? Yeah, so uh, to Andrew's point, uh, Bonnie, yes, so any 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 medium-sized or large-sized organization, you would have suppliers ranging anywhere between a few hundreds, which is on the which is on the lower side, but on an average, anywhere between a few thousands to ten thousand, tens of thousands of suppliers. So now, 
And these are all potential points of failures, if, depending on how much they impact your business, right? So, like Andrew said, if you were to collect all that information manually, it would probably take you years, and by the time you finish it, probably the first record would be outdated, and you would have to start it all over again. So supplier data enrichment today is an integral part of supplier risk management strategies. But today, it's, it's uh, uh, of course, risk management from external sources is a critical part. In addition to that, companies are doing a lot more uh, beyond just that. So there, is, there are various kinds of uh, uh, processes, for example, real-time risk visibility. How do you identify a risk event as and when it happens and uh, uh, initiate preemptive risk measures uh, to counter that? There is also ability to, uh, like to Andrew's point, uh, understand your supplier risk beyond just the tier one. So you have a supplier base of 5,000 suppliers, mm-hmm. and they in turn would have tier, their, own supp- their own network of suppliers, which is your tier two suppliers. Now, nowadays, and more and more companies are also interested in understanding what's happening within their tier one, tier two, or tier three in some cases, uh, suppliers, because all of these supplier ecosystem actually affect their actually affect their uh, uh, performance. So, and these are all potential risks of potential points of risks or failures. And uh, uh, again, to the to Andrew's point about uh, A being connected to B or corporate linkages and things like that. Instead, so it, it goes on to the to the butterfly effect, right? When uh, mm-hmm. when a butterfly in one end of the world can cause a tornado in the other. So, supply risk follows the same path. And in the past, we have seen such dozens of examples where. Uh, incidents have happened in completely isolated parts of very different uh, regions of the world, which have gone on to affect some of the leading, leading brands of the world. And this have caused, this has been due to uh, natural disaster, this has been due to violations, this has been mm-hmm. due to corruption practices, and what have you. So all kinds of things that are affecting suppliers and which, which you might be completely unaware of or even having an impact on your supply chain, go on and manifest themselves and present a risk. And next thing you know, you'd be reading about it in the front page of the newspaper that it has hit you in the face. So exactly. uh, it's, it's, supplier interconnections are very complex and it's, it's absolutely mandatory to have the full-blown vision of that, uh, of the supplier uh, uh, interconnections within your supply chain. And this could be augmented through multiple ways. Of course, uh, uh, external data, external data enrichment is a critical part of that. And in addition, there are a number of other ways as well, including onboarding processes, real-time visibility, end-tier visibility, and predictive analytics, and so on. Thank you. I have a question for both of you, but I'll pose it to Andrew Lee at DNB first. Andrew, we talk about mitigating. We talk about being proactive. What about the depth to which you need to vet the supplier before you bring them into your supply chain? How much time does that take to say, okay, we need bricks? Well, Bobby's bricks down the block. My father knew his father, and, you know, they look like a good company, don't look like they have any quote-unquote family ties that would show up on a TV show about you-know-who. So the question is, yeah, Bobby looks good. Let's just look at his finances. Let's look and see where he has dinner. Let's look and see where who owns his trucks. And Is that enough? How hard do you vet Bobby's bricks before you say he's going to be our main supplier? Andrew? You, uh, you need to, bu- to vet Bobby's bricks in a number of ways. One is you need to find out where Bobby's getting his supplies and what mm-hmm. is the stability and reliability of those, what we call end-tier suppliers. You need to find out about Bobby's financial stability, what's Bobby's company's credit rating and payment history. You need to find out what other companies is Bobby's bricks a member of the family, 
who owns Bobby's Bricks, really? What other suppliers that you're already doing, doing business with are part of the organization that Bobby's Bricks is part of? And what's, that, what's your experience with all of them? So this sounds really time-consuming and arduous. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be if you did it um, in a way that was uh, less than optimal. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, there are tools... And there is information that can be used by those tools, um, and Kirtan references as supplier data and data enrichment, which really means starting with the information that's immediately available about a supplier, and then using a data source, an information source, a source of insights to broaden that understanding about that potential supplier. So that doesn't have to be time-consuming if you're using the right tools and information. You have a tool you want to mention for that, Andrew? Something you want to recommend? It's okay. Um, <laughs> well, Go ahead. I, I think uh, Kirtan would, is the expert on the tools. My expertise is more about where you where you get the data. And so if you're inviting me to do so, I'll, I will mention that Dun & Bradstreet yeah. is the leading provider of data enrichment for all business domains, including supplier, finance, and sales and marketing. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. No problem with that. <laughs> Guess what? You're so polite. Uh, Kirtan Rye, I'm looking at your notes, and I don't know if we've covered regulatory and compliance as a key driver for supplier risk management yet, but if we haven't, uh, indulge me, please. I'd like you to just go over how this affects different industries, banking with the OCC guidelines, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, food, the FMS, FSMA, Food Safety Modernization that's a new one to me, and cross-industry regulations on corruption and materials and child labor. Can you uh, touch on that, please, Kirtan, and then we'll have Andrew chime in as well? Sure. Sure, Bonnie. So uh, the, most of the supplier risk incidents right, that we see uh, are, are, impact the organization supply chain in one way, but uh, if you look at the big picture, they also have a social impact and uh, in, on the social impact on the economy. Also, they are in direct breach of consumer rights, and many of these are, uh, are viewed very seriously by the, with the social conscience. So, hence, in most countries, government and regulatory bodies, too, have been uh, increasingly taking cognizance of such events and have enforced uh, a number of regulations and, uh, uh, and regulatory orders that organizations need to comply with when it comes to managing their suppliers or generally doing business uh, in, in their country as well as outside. So regulations and compliance are a key driving force in the supplier risk management area and to a large extent shape the evolution of uh, this domain. So uh, you mentioned OCC, the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. Now this is, uh, uh, this is a regulation that is passed by uh, in U.S., which mandates all financial, man- financial institutions or banks primarily uh, that uh, that should that they should go on and adopt risk management practices that are commensurate with the level of risk and complexity of their third party relationships so this could include uh, this requires the banks to include uh, to conduct thorough due diligence on their suppliers uh, manage ongoing monitoring independent reviews and audits uh, likewise there is likewise there is the dot frank act uh, which again uh, relates to the us which uh, restricts the use of conflict minerals in the supply chain. So according to this, companies not only have to declare that there are no conflict minerals in their end products, but also report on the, on the kind of due diligence that they have undertaken to avoid conflict minerals in their end products. 
the food and safety uh, modernization act once again it's uh, it's a us act it's um, focused it's 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 set to revolutionize the way the food supply chain manages is managed right from the farm to the fork so this again requires the suppliers uh, uh, supplier due diligence on hazard analysis supplier verification procedures uh, uh, corrective action procedures record keeping and so on so all of this have these are these are some of the factors that are guiding industries on they supply this management practices and apart from these now these would be what you classify as industry specific regulation there are also some of them which are cross industry like the uk bribery act or the foreign corrupt uh, corrupt practices act called the fcpa in us uh, they were specifically enforced to keep the corruption practices under check within the supply chain so you have a whole ecosystem and there are these are just some of the top ones that i could recollect there are dozens of these regulations which govern how how a company operate how a company manages their suppliers and supplier risk so as a result uh, not only is uh, supplier risk is no longer an option for uh, for a business it's become more of a business imperative because by non compliance you are not only placing yourself under risk but on the other hand you are in violation of the law as well so it's yeah. it's a it works both ways for an organization so uh, that's Thank the seriousness you. of that how it's being viewed in 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 the economy today Thank you, Kirtan. All good points. And guess what, Andrew Lee? We are almost out of time. I'm going to give you first crack at the predictions. We're now officially in the crystal ball. What do you see in the future round of the show? And I'm going to give you, oh, my goodness, Andrew, I can give you about 90 seconds. So, Andrew, I love the year 2020. just sounds so fun, and it's only <laughs> less than five years away. I don't know when you look through the lens of D&B and all of your collective wisdom, what you see, what will be different about this topic if we met again in the future. So our topic, again, is supplier risk is your risk. Are you prepared? What would be different about our conversation? And tell me far, how far in the future you're prepared to predict Andrew Lee Dun and Bradstreet 90 seconds predictions go well I'll take you up on your challenge to go five years out and I think the changes that we would see if we were doing this five years from now is that supplier risk management would be a one part of a broader risk management infrastructure and strategy covering all of the business domains of the of a company their marketing their sales their branding, their finances, their um, operational oversight, that all of these different functions require the kind of awareness that the supply chain does. And that rather existing as a silo, supply chain would be part of the, the general master data management strategy of the company. That is to say there would be a what we could think of as a horizontal platform whose job is to bring in and manage and make usable the data that a company needs and then provide that information in the form of actionable insights to the various business domains, which may now be silos but will not be for long. So awareness of relationships will be the key to risk management and, therefore, to enterprise growth. And that's happening now, and it will certainly be true five years from now. Thank you, Andrew. And I was thinking about, we, we have a show called Internet of Things with Game Changers. I'm thinking, what if somebody invents an app or a sensor you give to or you attach to a potential supplier, supply vendor, and you say, we're going to go through the vetting process now, and you activate this sensor, and it goes in and just pulls everything out of all well, of the already, data. That already exists. It's called business data enrichment. 
There you go. See, see, I was thinking about the present the and right not track. far enough. I'm on the right track. A little late, but better late than never. Kirtan Rye at SAP, I'm ready for you. I can give you, oh, well, I can give you 60 seconds for predictions. We are now very tight. Go ahead, Kirtan. What do you see? Okay, so my prediction would not be as far as five years. What we, what I'm predicting is already taking shape as we speak. So, mm-hmm. uh, and this would probably come true in the next couple of years. So, Today, organizations are adopting the business network model to connect and transact with each other. And uh, some of the largest networks have probably millions of suppliers and hundreds and billions of data that's uh, transactional data that's passing through them. So in the future, supplier risk would be a collective function of gathering that data and assimilating that data and providing predictive intelligence based on such network-based transactional data. Because these networks have the potential to for supply risk as an embedded functionality. And uh, it could evolve. That, that's one area where I see supplier risk evolving as a pretty strong, uh, in, a, in a pretty strong way in the next two or three years. Of course, there are other things, but uh, this, is the top, uh, this is the top priority at this point of time. Thank you very much. I am so appreciative to Andrew Lee at Dun & Bradstreet. Andrew, what a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming to the table with such great insights. And Kirtan Rai, you're welcome back anytime. Delighted to have you back. And again, deep insights, great expertise. And the two of you really kept it going for the whole hour. You need two good talkers plus me, and that's the show. I want to also thank Michael at the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio, a.k.a. VoiceAmerica.com, and Jeannie Trin at Ariba and SAP company for sponsoring this series it's just about time to say goodbye so let's see today's tuesday tomorrow uh oh october 14th yes i'll be back with two live shows tomorrow we have coffee break with game changers at 11 a.m eastern and at 2 p.m eastern we have game changing hr leaders two interesting interesting shows so i'm bonnie d graham as you know and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. You want to check out the supplier of the seatbelt? Go ahead. Be my guest. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.